Hey gang, you're listening to the R&R Rounds podcast. I'm Jonathan Wallace, and with me today I have... Colton Lewis. And Colton has been involved with the podcast now since, well, since episode one. But we've decided to get him out from behind the scenes, give him his own shiny microphone, and hopefully we'll be hearing more from him on a regular basis, increasing the quality of the content we're providing and making things a little bit more lively. Colton, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm a rural farm kid from Fort St. Nowhere and just finished my FPA family practice anesthesia residency this year in Calgary. Awesome. So this episode is actually going to be about the FPA or what I call the GPA residency training program. So I guess the first question is, why do we have two different terms for exactly the same thing? Do you have any thoughts on that, Colton? Uh, Yeah, I think it was just due to a recent uh, reformatting of things from the CCFP. They added what's called the Certificate of Added Competence, and they revamped what was known as the General Practice Anesthetist to now the Family Practice Anesthetist. Yeah, and being old school, I kind of have this internal bias where I feel like family practice almost makes us sound like specialists. And kind of an urban specialty thing. And so as a rural remote guy myself, I much prefer the older school GP term just because it makes us sound like what we do out in rural and that is a little bit of everything, general practice. Anyway, all this to say that GPA and FPA are essentially interchangeable terms. So we've got a list of questions. We're gonna go over them, debate it a little bit. Hopefully you find something interesting if you have ever had any questions about the FP anesthesia training program. All right, so question number one, why train in GP anesthesia? Colton, tell us about it. Yeah, I think there's lots of different reasons people choose GPA. One of the big things that I found is that lots of people want to train to provide better services to their community. Most notably, this comes in the form of obstetrics. There's lots of programs that are losing their rural obstetrical programs because there's no anesthesia available at their sites. So all these smaller sites are now getting to slightly bigger sizes as people have to move away to actually have their kids nearest to them possible in these communities. Another area that I find lots of GP anesthesia being followed for is for that remote resuscitation critical care component. I like to think of it as rural critical care. I've kind of formed that thought process in my head when I was actually going through CARMS that I had a big passion for rural critical care. As you provide as a GPA so many areas of enhanced skills in the form of the obstetrics area, in the form of emergency, on the ward, the crumping patient, the bit of internal medicine ICU component, you're kind of the go-to person. So I think those are the two big areas that I find lots of people pursuing that. The third thing is you approach it as a bit of a balanced life perspective. You get to try something else, do a little bit more diversity in your practice and bring it forward in the form of having the OR be a big component of maybe your upcoming or maybe a little bit less. And it all depends on everybody's ability, styles, local community preferences that can be available. I totally agree with that. I think the big thing to realize is that training in FP anesthesia doesn't mean that you necessarily have a passion for the anesthesia component, i.e. the general surgery or the gynae surgery or whatever it is that's being done in the rural site. I mean, that's a part of it, but the big gain in skills for me is enabling that community to have 
larger programs. They can now host a surgeon, they can host an obstetrics program, and of course to provide that really excellent resuscitative care. So I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head with that one, Colton. Question number two, was it hard to get into the anesthesia training program? I think over the recent years now, they've just reintroduced CARMS, at least in Canada, to the whole family practice anesthesia matching process. So I think it has enhanced and enabled a lot more people to apply for it now. With that being said, I know my year, I think there was two spots in Calgary and there was over 20 applicants. So you're about a 10% success rate. That being said, though, because it is CARMS, people are applying very broadly now. If you have an interest and passion for like family practice anesthesia or that remote rural critical care and your plan is to work in a remote or rural setting, I think though it goes a long way enhancing your ability to get in for sure for that. I agree with that. I trained over a decade ago now and at UBC we had four applicants for three positions. So it wasn't nearly as competitive at that point. This was pre-CARMS. And at that point, they really looked at the applicants and who was coming from where and what our intentions were to go back to. And so at least at that point, what I was told was that if you were a rural physician in practice, you actually had a better chance of getting matched than say a new grad who went straight into a continuation of their residency, which is interesting. So I don't know to what degree that's changed or if that's reflective of the thoughts of all the programs across the country, but I certainly wouldn't let it dissuade you from applying if you're a rural physician or if you think you're headed towards a rural remote type future. Chiming in with that, there is spots available for the returning physician to residency throughout multiple of the programs. There's sometimes different funding, different application process, and you are actually evaluated a little bit differently because of that. With that being said, they know that then you're coming back to a community in need. So I think it does enhance it still. For sure. I would say if you're interested, number one, start on the website for whatever university it is that you're interested in applying to. And number two, have a chat with the program director. And I think you'll get educated pretty quickly as to the lay of the land and what your chances are. Okay, next question. We should talk a little bit about where job opportunities exist as a GP anesthetist because this is not something that is recognized across the country. Colton, what are your thoughts on that? The GP anesthetist is, yeah, mainly noted for sure the North, so none of it, Northwest Territories, Yukon, definitely more West, kind of everything West of Ontario utilizes GPAs in a higher arrangement. It starts to get a little bit interesting around Quebec and the Eastern provinces and some recognizing the GPA component and some still utilizing only FRCPs in many sites. So it is starting to evolve and change though and there has been talk about having some FPAs available. I did note that there was even, I think PEI is now looking at having FPAs in their sites as well. So I think things are starting to mobilize and change that being said, most of the training opportunities are obviously Ontario and West because of that. For sure. My most recent understanding is that Nova Scotia is one province where there are no GP anesthesia opportunities. PEI, as Colton says, is opening up. I believe New Brunswick has opportunities. Newfoundland definitely has opportunities. I don't know anything about Quebec, unfortunately. 
So in terms of where you can work, the relationship of GP anesthesia to specialist anesthetist is not the same level playing field as say CCFPEM versus FRCPEM. GPAs almost exclusively are getting jobs in smaller community centers. So for example, in Alberta, the larger cities, Edmonton and Calgary, but even Red Deer, Lethbridge, Grand Prairie, are not including GPAs for the most part. Now that said, there are occasional exceptions, but I would say for the most part, if you're thinking about this training, imagine yourself working in smaller, more remote centers, and you getting an anesthesia job in a larger urban center is going to be much more difficult. This varies very much province to province, but if this is important to you, I would strongly suggest you look into whatever the culture is in the province and in the town that you want to work in. I'd echo those sentiments exactly. I mean, we are at this point where we are short anesthetists everywhere in the country. That may start to change, become a little bit more blurred. I would say in bigger centers, you will not be working at them. Somewhere around that 50,000 or less, generally at least for Alberta, BC, you might be looking at that for a community size. Yeah, agreed. But again, going back to what we were saying at the very beginning of this episode, If you are going into GP anesthesia, you probably have a broader mindset and are thinking about more than just anesthesia as your practice. You probably have an interest in clinic or emergency or whatever it is. And so again, the role of the GP anesthetist is really to support the entire community and allow these other more complex systems to run, plus to provide that ongoing rural remote care. And so if you did find yourself working in a larger hospital, chances are your practice would then be skewed to providing just 100% anesthesia. And at that point, you might be thinking about whether it's better just to go back and retrain as a specialist anesthesiologist. And that's something that we will get back to a little bit later in this episode. Okay, our next question is, how intense is the residency year? Go ahead, Colton. Well, yeah, how do you even start sometimes? It's uh, interesting when you reflect back. Uh, I'd say that as the year starts, it is just being like slammed all over again at the start of med school. You've just been given this huge textbook. You say, go, learn as much as you can, as fast as you can. You're basically trying to get through an FRCP amount of five years in about one year time frame. And you just have so much material to get through. And I'd say that like, It's extremely overwhelming at the start, but about like month seven, things start to click and you start to get a pattern and a flow and you start to realize your own nuances and the tricks and artistic flair that you want to put forward. Because in reflection of the entire year, I'd say that every anesthetist has their own artistic flair, which makes it so flippin' hard to learn at the start. And everybody's got their own opinion of doses. And it is so much of a reactive specialty as well in the sense of you look at somebody and you're like, okay, they exactly need this. And you start giving the medications and you're like, they need way more or they need way, way less. So I think it is a very reactive component and you have to adapt with the times, with the patient, with the exact scenario that you got going through. You get developing these processes, I would say that kind of really solidifies how you're learning in that year. I agree with that, Colton. I would also say that having done four years of residency with the two rural plus an EM year and then the GP anesthesia year, 
The GP anesthesia year was probably the most intense for me of the four. It's certainly not something that I would be thinking about moonlighting during. And if you have a young family, this may not be the best time to be retraining in this particular program. It's pretty intense, the hours are long, and truly, if you want to learn it well, and you need to learn it well, because chances are you're going to be the only anesthetist in your community at times, you really want to be able to dedicate yourself 100% to that year. Would you agree with that? I'd agree with that. I would say, though, that like in some ways, I found it a little bit easier than what I had going on from a call perspective. Now, this could be unique to Calgary, but when I was one in four 26-hour call, you're just absolutely beat down once you finish. And the program there was very nice in having a pre-call day and a post-call day. So when you were on, you were on, but you were like not like a zombie at the end of it. You really felt like you absorbed more throughout the year. And I think it enhanced a lot of how I learned throughout the year. I thought I got way better because of that. It was like every opportunity was a big learning opportunity and you weren't as burnt out doing it, which I think went a long way in how I learned and progressed throughout the year. I'll give you that. UBC was the same way. We had our pre-call night shift was only about 12 hours and then you had your post-call recovery day. And so from a sleep perspective, it was actually quite good. I guess my comment refers more to the fact that it was just kind of non-stop for 12 months and really no opportunity to recover in the larger spectrum because it is essentially all anesthesia, maybe a little bit of ICU mixed in there, and there are no so-called light rotations in which you can catch your breath. I'd agree 100% with that because either your room is slower for that day because the patient's super complex or the surgery's super complex or you've got a lot of rapid fire cases that patients are generally healthier and happier. So I'd 100% agree with that. Cool. All right, next question. Do you feel prepared at graduation? I think I have to have pause with that. I would say yes. I think the training year is extremely good in jamming as much in that you get exposed to a high amount of cases and volume and you feel, you know, competent per se. I think all of that is as a new staff, it's the confidence aspect that you may not feel as prepared for you know you don't have that person that is nearby over your shoulder potentially you are the only fpa in the community so you feel a little on edge about that but i would say overall the year has been great for preparing me they had us go up north to very fort st nowhere and had a whole month up there and it was great training environment as you were very remote and it was a whole different ball game and dealing with a whole nother population demographic that was sicker when they came in and I thought that was great. So I think, yes, I do feel a lot more confident. Yes, I've been exposed to some extremely sick patients that makes you feel a lot more confident when you have a less sick patient. I would say I've had the same experience as Colton. Doing the anesthesia year in UBC, we did have a month up north in Whitehorse for us at the time. And the skill set that I was given has proven to certainly meet the needs and demands of what I've been asked to do as a GPNS this. So final answer, yes, I think you are prepared at graduation, although as with any training program, it's going to take six months, maybe a year for you to really find your groove and feel confident. All right, Jonathan, so you've had an experience of several years at this. Was it rewarding and would you do it all over again? Yeah, so you know, I finished in 2011, so I'm now 11 years into this, and I have to say it has been remarkably rewarding for me. 
I mean, anybody who listens to the podcast, you know that my area of interest is rural remote resuscitation. And having done the EM year prior, I had been really hopeful that that emerge year would have made me an excellent resuscitationist. And it certainly did improve my resuscitation abilities, but not nearly to the level where I had hoped it would. And then I ended up doing GP anesthesia for other reasons. And two months into that program, I woke up one day and realized, wow, I am really good at airways now. And it was just that moment of realization, hey, it's actually the anesthesia skills that I had wanted all along in terms of the vascular access and managing vasopressors and giving blood transfusions and managing a ventilator and blah, 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 blah. And so, yes, for me, it was the perfect training program to finalize my career in terms of residency. But I also really enjoy having the balance of emergency medicine and anesthesia. Because if I do exclusively anesthesia, after say four or five days, I'm honestly getting a little bit bored. I've caught up on my reading. Doing one patient at a time is just, it's a little bit dull. I say that cautiously because I know there are anesthetists out there who would chastise me for saying so, but that is my personality. And so I'm excited when I get my next emerge shift and I get to go back and deal with the sore throats and the swollen ankles and whatever else comes in. But then after having done emergency for four or five days in a row, I get tired, I'm overwhelmed, I haven't had enough sleep, I need to have a rest. And so I look forward to going back to the OR. And so that flip-flop for me has proven to be that perfect balance. So 100%, I would go back and do this exact same route again if I suddenly found myself back in time. It sounds like the uh, diversity and the ability to flip-flop is what really is what you crave going back and forth using two different sides of the brain. For sure. And I think that's probably true of many practicing GP anesthetists as well. Often they have clinics, some are delivering babies, some are really interested in sports medicine or chronic pain or addictions. But everyone seems to have a broader interest than just anesthesia. And those that are mostly interested in anesthesia inevitably are contemplating and often do go back and they finish the Royal College Anesthesia Training Program. Which I think is a great segue into our last question. And that is... What about bridging to the specialist anesthesia, the old FRCP? And so it is important to be aware that this is one of those routes. So having done two years of family, one year of the FPA training program as Colton has, we are now eligible to go back and complete the anesthesia training program. And from what I understand, typically we go back and we are inserted into the PGY three year of five year anesthesia programs. Therefore, all totaled, it would be a six year route to full fledged anesthetist. Is that consistent with what you've heard? That is. It is a little bit of a trickier route to get into, though. It's not the same amount of funding or availability. Lots of the sites as well, they don't even know if they're getting funding one year. All of a sudden, they're told they have funding for a spot and they have like two weeks to fill it. So it is a trickier route to get in or a more select route, and it's not for everybody. And most people have to have been out at least several years before they're allowed to come back. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. So if you want to be a specialist in anesthesiologist, applying through the GPA route would not be your primary attack to achieve that goal. 
That said, if this is something you're contemplating in the back of your mind and you're happy to go and work in a place like Fort St. Nowhere for a couple of years and have that more varied general practice kind of approach and experience, then this may be a great route because at some point over the next few years, that door will open. And I've personally observed that it may be linked to a Royal College resident who ends up leaving the anesthesia program, thus opening up a seat and opening up that funding, which is then offered first and foremost to the GP anesthetists. So the door does exist. It isn't open all the time, but if you're patient, it probably will be offered to you at some point. Do you agree with that, Colton? I'd agree with that sentiment, yep. Okay, cool. So I think that's kind of brought us to the end of the list of our prepared questions. Do you have anything else that... Do you think we should mention to those that are interested in this magical world of GP anesthesia? I think this is a really unique kind of subspecialty of anesthesia in the sense of it provides a ton of diversity to people's practice and you get to experience so many different areas of the hospital and be what I would call the true generalist in the sense of that you're doing, you know, eMERGE work, clinic work, OR work, wards, in the labor and delivery ward, you have a real chance to make an impact in multiple areas in your community. And I think it opens up all sorts of possibilities. And for the person that craves all of that, I think it fits really well with that aspect of life. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think you need to feel that anesthesia is the absolute most exciting thing in all of medicine in order to contemplate taking a GP anesthesia year. I think you just have to enjoy looking after patients who are unstable and being in that situation where you have to make decisions quickly and you have to be committed to wanting to learn a new skill over the course of a year. On that note, anesthesia is one of those complex skills that you really can't pick up piecemeal. And by that, I look at the emergency medicine route and certainly it's very reasonable to practice for say four years, accrue a certain number of hours per year and eventually challenge that CCFPEM exam. The docs who do that are really well trained and maybe even equivalently trained as those who go through the year of residency, maybe even as good as those who go through the five-year residency if we fast forward and look at everybody 10 years into practice. But anesthesia is different. That is not something you can piecemeal. Frankly, it would be dangerous to try and just all of a sudden do a general anesthetic just because. So if it is a skill you want to pick up, you really do need to look at training. And of course, the Canadian training programs would be your first choice, but there are other programs internationally which you could look at as well. For example, when I was contemplating training, I was actually offered a position in Bath in the UK. And I believe that was going to be a one or two year program. And so if I had done that in Bath, presumably I would have come back to Canada and done some of that practice readiness assessment process. But that is certainly a route that's available as well. Good. Well, I think we're getting a little long here. Any other final thoughts? Not that I can think of. Colton, it's awesome to have you here in front of the microphone with me. And we are definitely looking forward to seeing what you come up with in the next little while in terms of the topics you're going to choose and what you're going to teach us about. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. All right, gang, we'll catch you on the next one. This episode was hosted by Dr. Jonathan Wallace. The RNR Rounds podcast is free, open access medical education. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it. Don't forget to check out the show notes for more clinical pearls. Visit podcast.rnrrounds.ca.